Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. All right. Well, I'm going to open um, by reading the passage we're going to be in this morning. And then after I read this, I'm going to pray one more time. Um, So let's start by just setting the course here, reading this passage. So this is James chapter four. We're going to be wrapping up chapter four together this morning. So these are the last few verses in James chapter four, beginning in verse 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? James, getting all philosophical on us on an early Sunday morning. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is a sin. Let's pray. Lord, we just acknowledge up front, we need help with this. God, we need help with this. First of all, Lord, I just acknowledge where, where my mind is at, where my body is at physically this morning. I'm tired, Lord, and many of my friends may be as well. And as, as your word is inviting us to really step back and consider um, a really big question that has a lot of ramifications in our day-to-day life. Lord, I pray that this would be fruitful. Um, I pray our minds would be alert. God, our our hearts would be ready, um, not just to get lost in our own thoughts, but God, to hear from you. What do you want to say to us today? Lord, is there something specific that you want to call out in our hearts or something you want to build up and encourage within us? God, would you come be our teacher and our guide as we talk about how we spend our lives, how we spend our time. Lead us in this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there's three kind of primary things we're going to look at this morning from this passage. First of all, there's just an invitation from James to consider our life. So we're all just going to pause and consider our lives this morning. <laughs> but you didn't think you were coming to church to like be brought into some massive philosophical moment. But we're going to consider our lives. Then we're going to talk about how do we manage our lives? How are we making the day-to-day decisions of what I'm doing? What am I focused on? How do we manage our lives? And then ultimately, what James is really driving for, and so I'm letting the cat out of the bag early on, what he's really driving for is that we learn how to surrender our lives. Because that's where we'll find the answer to What is my life and how am I managing it? All right, so here we go. Let's look back now just at the first couple of verses where he starts, uh, verses 13 and 14. Come now, you who say. So this phrase, like he's he's opening opening up, he's inviting us to stop and consider what we're doing. He's not necessarily quoting like a real phrase someone would say, like, here's what I'm doing. He's just talking about, we, man, we get into the busyness, the routine, the activity of life. 
we, we set our own focus and aims on what we're up to. And he's calling us to slow down and consider, how are you really governing your time? What are you really doing with the life that you've been given? And he, he's, he's letting us know, like for many of us, there may be a level of arrogance we don't even recognize that has infiltrated the way that we're thinking about running and managing our lives. And so he he invites us to consider. So come now you who say today or tomorrow. So he's talking about time, our calendar, our schedule, that we will go into such and such a town. He's talking about place, location. Where am I going? What am I doing? And when you spend a year there, so even, not even just today and tomorrow, but like long-term planning, all right? He's talking about how do we structure and plan our life? And we'll make a profit. Because of course, when we consider the future, it goes well. <laughs> it goes according to plan. I, I have it all mapped out. So he's saying, stop and consider. Verse 14 now. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James is calling us to slow down and consider. Now, we're obviously doing this because we've reached this place in this passage that we've been working through over a period of weeks. But I would, I would propose that it's important for us to do this regularly in our lives. To, to find intentional moments where we slow down, where we pause, and we consider. We consider what am I doing? What am I aiming at? Where am I going? And so I, I want to first highlight to you, he kind of gives us three specific things to consider about our lives, just to be consciously aware of. First of all, life is uncertain. I bet you didn't, is there something I can press to make that be quiet? I think it's that MacBook. <laughs> is Crystal like texting you right now? Yeah. <laughs> Crystal, if you're listening to this later, we know you were texting Alex at 10 till 11 on a Sunday morning in the middle of church. (laughs) Watch, we're like blaming her for something and it's totally just like a random notification. Yeah. Now my watch is talking to me. We're off to a great start this morning. All right. (laughs) Life is uncertain and God has a sense of humor. (laughs) Life is uncertain. I, I, I realize we all know that. And yet there's all kinds of things that we do to try to control it, to try to make it feel less uncertain. And yet it is, that's just the reality. Life is uncertain. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. I think I know what tomorrow will bring. I've got a whole calendar full of stuff that's telling me what tomorrow will bring, but life is uncertain. And it's important to remember that. Number two, life is fragile. You know, he says life is a mist and it quickly vanishes. Um, he is referencing time, but, but there's, there's a fragility to life. There's fragility to life. Not only in the sense that like, man, this physical body could just, it could go like that. But, but even in the way that I'm managing my own life and I'm touching other lives, Like sometimes I can get so busy and so active with all my plans and all my purposes. I'm not even considering the fact that like my life is fragile. Am I wearing myself thin? 
Or maybe the way I begin to treat people is I'm just plowing ahead through life, taking the next hill, and I'm bulldozing people along the way. We're fragile. Life is fragile. And then I already kind of alluded to this, but the third thing, life's uncertain, life's fragile, life is short. We appear for a little time. It's short. These are things James calls us to pause and consider. So if it's uncertain and it's fragile and it's short, then what are the implications? What are the implications of, of what I'm doing with my life? And so, and so he kind of tells us like, those are the realities of life. Now we should pause and consider because in verse 13, like what he's, what he's explaining there in verse 13, this idea of just, I have my plans, I have my focus, I know what I'm about. He's calling out the fact that we like to put our life in terms that we can deal with and control. That's how we cope often with the uncertainties of life. We try to put control mechanisms around it so I can feel better about what I'm doing. Because living with that uncertainty is scary and it can feel overwhelming. And so if we then try to take control by giving ourselves a sense of order and success, James saying, beware, because that that's a false comfort. It's a false comfort. So consider how are you managing your life in light of these truths, that it's uncertain, it's fragile, and it's short. So I just want to give you some bullet points here. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but I want to encourage you to pause and consider. Um, because I'm not going to have us sit here in silence for five or ten minutes in the middle of this service, I'm just aware of what can happen really any Sunday or any time where we're reading something or we're listening to somebody speak. Like we can be present in the moment. We can have our hearts or minds like, you know, pricked in some way. Like I could be taught something or reminded about something. And then we can get off into what exactly James is talking about here. The busyness of life and not like do something with it. And so I want to encourage you, whether you do something this afternoon or this week for spring break, or you need to plan a time soon, I would encourage you, pause and consider, especially if you haven't done this in a while. Pause and consider, who runs your life? Because like that's the real root of what James is getting after. You've run your life, you've managed it, you've planned it. You've got your thoughts and ideas. But who's truly running your life? What's your aim? What's your purpose? What am, I, what am I going after? And then if I know who's running my life and I've considered what's my real aim and purpose, then how am I managing my time and activity? Because over here I might say in my heart, the Lord runs my life. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've given my life to him. My aim and purpose, it's to glorify him. It's to accomplish kingdom things in this world. That's great, cool. Then is the way I'm managing my time and activity, does it reflect that? Because a lot of times we, we feel like we made a, a, a decision that he runs my life. And I've, I've purposed that my heart is going to be for him. But then when it comes to the day-to-day -day management of what I'm doing with my time and activity, is it flowing out of that? Or does it contradict it? And so then, therefore, that just gets us into a daily even reset. What's your daily mindset in light of these things? See, we ought to, what we ought to do when we're pondering these questions, this reality, is, is we come to verse 15. It's kind of the hinge point of this entire passage. 
where James says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, friends, in the face of the uncertainties of life, it should cause us to look up to God for help and direction. That's the point. That's the point. In light of the uncertainties, in light of how we manage our time, how we make decisions about what we're doing with our calendar and our interactions with one another, am I looking up to God for help and direction? You know, I was thinking about this passage this week and, you know, it, it brought to mind the story of the Tower of Babel. Anybody looked at the story of the Tower of Babel anytime recently? Um, yeah, it's one of those stories like you probably learned it as a kid in Sunday school if you did that sort of thing back in the day. Maybe it's not something that's the forefront of our mind, but I think it's interesting when you consider the context. Um, now, maybe, maybe some years or even generations have passed since Noah, but it's essentially the next story after Noah. So God has done a hard reset He's done a hard reset. If there was ever a question about who's really in charge or how out of control we really are or the uncertainties of life, it's like the story of the flood, right? God did a whole entire reset. And what's the next big story that shows up in Genesis? Everybody's getting together and figuring out how they're gonna run things and do it their way again. I just wanna give you a few verses of this. Genesis 11, verses one through four. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitum for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the, over the face of the whole earth. Notice the focus, ourselves. Notice what it's for, ourselves. Notice what they're doing. They're trying to, to create something to protect themselves, to have a sense of control, and they're the ones setting the aim. God's told them to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion over the earth. Like they're, they're supposed to spread out on purpose. God's given direction. And here they are just a short time after the flood, already trying to take control again. Now y'all know the story, right? What takes place? How do they disperse? God comes in and goes, oh, what is happening with technology this morning? Can you just like throw that somewhere? Siri keeps listening to what I'm saying. Um, sorry, that was really distracting for me and probably really distracting for you. Um, what God does is he confuses their language and, and they spread out. Here's the point, guys. So easily, even with a quick reminder like the flood, we can fall back into the pattern of not referencing God, of not honoring him, of not letting him be king. And we can run things ourselves with our own agenda, our own time frame, our own plans. Listen, we're just, you know, depending on how you look at the timing of things, we're just a couple years removed from something that just like reset everything. I mean, you talk about feeling out of control. The pandemic, the pandemic shows up and all of a sudden we realize all kinds of ways we're not in control. 
And a lot of the ways we tried to deal with it was to get back control any way that we possibly could. What lessons have we taken away from that about life and its uncertainties and who or what I'm really trusting? And so we need to pause. We need to consider. Now, I realize for many of us in this room, some of us, maybe, maybe we aren't walking closely with the Lord. Maybe some of us haven't even truly given him our life. That, that may be the spot that you find yourself in. And I believe there's stuff the Lord wants to speak to that about the importance and power of giving your life to Christ and trusting him with all the uncertainties that you face. But I also want to say to those who have given their heart to the Lord, have walked with him maybe even for a long time, consider the possibility that we have maybe slipped into some of this way of thinking. Where in our heart, in our mind, he's king and he's in charge. And yet the way it plays out practically in my life, I run the show and I make the decisions without even talking to him about it. Just consider that that might be a possibility. And so consider your life is point number one. Point two, how do we manage our life? There's two kind of specific warnings I want to give this morning. The first is right here in James. And so a warning from James is against arrogance. This is verses 16 and 17 now. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's a sin. This is just one of those classic punch in the face moments from James, right? They're just, they're sprinkled throughout the letter. In fact, every time I turn around and think James is starting to build me back up and encourage me and I'm, I'm feeling good again, it's just like, pow, here comes another punch to the gut, right? Just something to consider. He's so direct here. Let me unpack some of these words he uses. Boasting. You boast in your arrogance, he says. That means to glory. That could be glorying with reason or without reason, That word glory gets used in a positive sense, like we glory in God, like look at who he is, look at what he's done, or we glory or exult in our own pride and wisdom. The the word can be used for good or for ill. And so in this instance, boast, because we're glorying in what? My own arrogance, my own ability to plan things, run things, have success rooted in me, confidence in myself. And so he's saying, you boast in your arrogance. That word arrogance, it literally means boasting or pride. That particular word shows up twice in the New Testament. Once here and once in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. We'll read it in a second, but it's in the context of John highlighting the, the trap that we fall into in this world. The first two things he says is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. But the third thing he says is the pride of life. That word pride is the same as this one here. I want to to look at this in context here. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That sense of pride of just like, I'm gonna get out of this world whatever I can get out of it while I can get it out of it. 
I'm going to draw what I can from life. I'm going to look for satisfaction, success, comfort, control. This is living for myself apart from God. It's a form of boasting or pride. And whether I pause to consider it or not, it's something we can fall into. See, some people have consciously made the decision, this is my life, and I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. Many have made that decision. But many of us, as I've already suggested, have given our life to Christ, but practically, the way we're living still communicates the same thing. That by just planning it as if it's my own and not his, I'm living as if I've decided I don't need him running my life. And he says, listen, this is pride, and he says it's evil. It's evil. Look at this word evil. There's, there's kind of two different meanings for this word that, that it work together. The first is kind of what we generally think of when we hear evil. It means a bad nature or condition. It could be a physical condition like blind or diseased. Um, it could be in an ethical sense, like just bad or wicked. So like the ways we approach life, if I'm running my life on my own without the Lord, it's evil, meaning I'm being blind a diseased way of living. Doesn't work. It also is just morally wrong. That's sin. Running my life apart from him, it's wrong. But the second, the second thing this word evil means, it means full of labors, annoyances, and hardships. Oh, how many times I have walked in labors, annoyances, and hardships. And then I even do the thing where like, I'm upset with him. Like I'm, God, how could you let this happen? And he's gotta just be up there thinking, bro, I let it happen because I let you be in charge like you wanted to be. (laughs) And you're experiencing labor and annoyances and difficulty and they're of your own making because you just decided this is what I'm gonna do. Um, There was no shortage of examples in my life that I could share this morning, but I wanted to share one that I felt like was really subtle and easy to miss because I I think it's it's easy. Not that we need to be hard on ourselves, but we need to be honest with ourselves. We'd be honest with ourselves. And so the Lord brought to memory um, an instance years ago at Grace Chapel back in Franklin. Um, I was still the youth pastor there. I was primarily doing high school youth ministry. And there was a handful of people who were like, man, we really need a young adults group. Like, can we start a young adults group? And, and you know, I recognize the need for that. Like as the high school youth pastor, a lot of kids would go off to college. Like Franklin's not exactly a college town. Um, they would go off to school. Many of them would come out here to Knoxville. But there were always um, students who would stay close. You know, maybe they're enrolling, um, you know, somewhere in Nashville and they're gonna commute from Franklin or or there's, they're just, you know, they're getting a job, whatever. And so it's like, we need something for these young adults who are here. And so it just, it seemed like a good idea. There were people asking us to do it. Um, I reached out to a couple of buddies and we're like, hey, let's, let's do this thing. So we put our heads together. Um, we had a little planning meeting with the people who were asking us to do it. And it was like, hey, we got eight or 10 people here. And now we can reach out to others who will want this. And I mean, we mapped out a schedule, a plan. We figured out a place we were gonna meet. We put together like a cool worship team. We were gonna build in this fun like meal fellowship time. And it was like, we just had this great plan. 
And we did the very first night and it was like 12 people. And then week two, there was like six people. And week three, there was like four people. And the guy who was leading worship told me he was getting ready to move across the country. It's like, this was a disaster. Where did we go wrong? How did we fail? Like, we know how to do this sort of thing. And people said they wanted it. And like, the Lord came along and convicted me. He's like, you never once asked me about this. We didn't pray and ask if we were supposed to do it. I sure didn't pray and go, God, am I supposed to do this? In my arrogance and pride, it was just like this thing seems like the right thing to do. It's a God thing. It's a kingdom thing. I should just do it. And I never prayed. This is how subtle this is. Like when we first hear this passage, it's just easy to think about, I'm just running my life for myself. I'm being greedy and I'm being selfish. And listen, we do need to watch out for that. But guys, often in our lives, when it comes to just the practical management of our life, our family, our work, our schedule, have I really developed an intentionality that says, God, are you, are you in this? Are you calling me to this? What are you saying about this? Am I asking him to guide me? See, that's, that's why James is able to say, like, when you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, for him, it's a sin. Like when we read 1 John a minute ago, you know, I would say the first two things he says, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, those are, those are obviously addressing vices. Like if you're like me, when I think about sin, I think about the things I'm not supposed to do. Those behaviors that just get me into trouble. And that's true. Those are a part of sin. But what James is saying here is it's not just the wrong things that we do that we shouldn't do. There's also the things that are the right thing to do that we omit, that we leave out. Referencing God and then obeying the direction that he gives. Saying no to the things he says no to. Saying yes to the things he says yes to. That's an aspect of sin. Pride says, I know what's right, and then it justifies itself. And I believe one of the reasons why we need this warning is because pride can be very blinding. It can be very blinding. And so the invitation to pause and to consider is so important. Who is running my life? Now, I want to address a second warning here. And I'll, I'll acknowledge up front, you know, I, I really like when we're in a series, like staying close to the text and the scripture that we're following but I just really felt strongly all week long that there's a second area when it comes to how we view our time, how we're managing our lives, that is a real struggle in our day and age. And, you know, we've seen all throughout this series how James' letter often parallels what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And I just felt really drawn to share a warning from Jesus too. I mean, this warning from James is from the Lord. All scriptures, God-breathed and inspired by him. But Jesus' specific words in the Sermon on the Mount, I wanna, I wanna talk about this. Not only are we warned against arrogance when managing our life, Jesus warns us against anxiety when we're managing our life. Matthew 6, 25 through 27. For, for full context, you could read 25 through 34. I'm just limiting it here for time's sake. Jesus is speaking. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, 
what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Some of us, the way we cope with the uncertainties of life is we just, we kid ourselves into thinking, I got it figured out. It's the arrogant side. I'm in control, I've got a plan, I'm successful financially, like it's all mapped out. And I can have these blinders to make me think I've got things under control. For others of us, we've, we've paused and considered about life and we're not putting on blinders to manage it. We're looking at the realities of life and going, oh man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm inadequate. <laughs> I can't do this. I can't manage this. I feel overwhelmed. I look at myself and I look at the world around me and maybe there's some honest reflection about me and about the troubles in this world, but we stop there. Like James isn't inviting us just to go, man, look at life. It's uncertain. It's fragile. We're screwed. <laughs> That's not what he's, he's saying. Don't stop there, but it's easy to do. It's, it's so easy to be aware of like, man, I just, I don't feel like I have what it takes or I feel stuck. Like the fact that I'm out of control, I'm aware how little control I have. It's, it's difficult, it's frustrating, and it's bringing anxiety, it's bringing fear. It causes me to feel depressed, like, is this ever gonna change? And so for many of us, we feel woefully inadequate in managing our life. Like this is a huge problem that so many of us face, and, and I don't wanna pretend like I can address the entire thing here with just five minutes in a sermon, but I just wanna say like God cares about those anxieties, those fears, those stuck places. And yes, we ought to consider how small we are and how fragile the world is. But what Jesus is telling us to do is to not be anxious. He, he helps us change our gaze See, where pride just thinks I've got it all under control, like some of the roots of that anxiety, that depression, that fear, it's, it's looking at myself and not finding the resource there that's needed, and then we stay there. Like, I'm stuck here. And the invitation is the same for both problems. If I'm, I'm lost in pride and arrogance, I need to humble myself and look up. If I feel stuck and hopeless and anxious and uncertain, I stop and I look up. That's the invitation. That's what verse 15 is all about. And that's why the solution is point number three, surrender your life. I just want to read one more time, James 4, 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. <laughs> I can look up. I can find hope in him. I can find comfort in him. I can find direction from him. Jesus says something similar in the, in the passage we were just in. Matthew 6, skipping down now to verses 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, in light of that, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. 
Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. James and Jesus are saying the same thing. Look up. Look to the king. Look to the Lord. See, we've actually seen this popping up throughout our study in James, this idea of the fear of the Lord. And it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. Do I want wisdom in how I'm aiming my life, how I'm managing my time, how I'm determining what I'm doing day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year? Do I want that wisdom? The solution is in the fear of the Lord. Now, I feel like I could, I could stop right there. But what I want to do is I want to give you three practical ways that you can walk in the fear of the Lord. How can I walk this out? Like if I, if I have found myself in here somewhere this morning, maybe I've just put my head down and gotten to work. And the truth is, if I'm honest, I'm just kind of running my life on my own most of the time. Or maybe it resonates with you, that idea of feeling like, stuck, anxious, uncertain. I want to give you three ways that we can walk in the fear of the Lord and find the wisdom we crave, the wisdom that we need. The first is we can revere him. Walking in the fear of the Lord is about reverence. I revere him. What's that idea of revering reverence? It's fear, it's awe. Friends, it's worship. It's worship. I was thinking about this this morning, actually, during worship. Um, Do y'all remember the story in the Old Testament when Saul is still the king and he would have these fits where he was kind of in turmoil? He would get angry. I think he was dealing with anxiety. That's just my own reading of it. Um, We know that he was really worried about how people viewed him There was pride, but there was like fear. He was concerned about how people viewed him and his leadership. And and he felt threatened a lot. And one of the things that happened before David became king, when he was still just that shepherd boy, is is, uh, King Saul would have David come and play the harp, play worship to like calm that anxiety, that fear. And it just, it struck me this morning, I was thinking about this. You know, I think for a lot of us, Um, I know I do this at times when I come into worship and I'm not saying this is inherently bad, all right? But I come into worship, it's like, man, I I need to be ministered to. I need to be refreshed a little bit. And so I come and I'm in this place of just sort of like receiving, right? Like it's been a hard week. It's been a long week. I just need a touch from the Lord. And I believe in us ministering to each other as we're worshiping the Lord. I believe in that, okay? But it just struck me during worship, like, like Saul had a temporary solution, David worshiped for him and he was around it and it brought temporary relief. But David himself was a worshiper. He was a worshiper. And David was in all kinds of terrible situations over the course of his life. Yeah, he was King David. He was also hunted. (laughs) He's hiding in caves. Like all kinds of crazy stuff happened in his life. But He was a worshiper at heart. And thank God this doesn't mean having a good singing voice. Because if that qualifies you to be a worshiper, I'm out right there. (laughs) It also doesn't mean that you have to be able to play an instrument because strike two, for me at least. It's an attitude of heart. Worship. 
If I'm struggling with pride, worship gets my eyes off of me. If I'm struggling with fear and anxiety, I feel overwhelmed. It gets my eyes where it belongs. Who's really in charge? Who's running things? Who's got this? He does. And if I walk in reverence, I revere him. It doesn't mean that other stuff goes away. It just puts it in its proper place. In light of the king, who do I have to fear? What do I have to fear? He'll see me through. This will humble my pride and this will calm my fear. Worship, reverence. Number two, as I'm walking in the fear of the Lord and I revere him, I worship him. The second thing I do is I learn to rely on him. I learn to rely on him. I mentioned earlier that that word um, uh, boasting, you boast in your arrogance, that it also means like glory or exalt. Um, it can be used in both a positive and a negative sense. We see this word show up in a positive sense in Romans chapter five, verses two through five. Through him, through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Like the source of everything that we need is in the grace of God. And so we have access to that, that, that grace. So what do we do? We rejoice. That's that same word, boast. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's how I rely on him. I rejoice. My hope is in him, not me. My hope is in what God is up to, that he's redeeming, that he's with me, that he's for me, that he never leaves me nor forsakes me. And so I rejoice in that. Instead of having to try to psych myself up like, I've got this. I can do this. I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps. No, I rejoice in him. And so I, I learned to rely upon him. And then notice verse three. I don't like this verse, but there's truth in it. Paul tells us not only do we rejoice because our hope is in the glory of God, not only that, verse three, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we rejoice in our suffering. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, steadfastness. It's the same word we've seen in James. Difficulty produces steadfastness. And what does endurance or steadfastness produce? Character. What has James been telling us is the goal of being steadfast, becoming mature or complete, produces character. And what does character produce? Hope. Do you see how hope is the bookends? I rejoice in hope that God's got this. So then when I'm facing the difficulties of life, when I'm managing the day-to-day -day of life, I can rejoice even in those difficulties because he's doing something. Because he's gonna enable me to hang in there and endure and be steadfast. And he's growing and he's maturing me. And as I grow and I mature in Christ, I just catch another glimpse of the hope I have in him. Look what he's done. Look how he's been faithful. Look how he's seen me through that and got me here. Now the next hard thing I'm facing, I can face it in hope and I can endure and I can grow and I can find more hope, more strength. Do you see that cycle? It's building on itself. This is how we rely on him. We stand in his grace and then we can face anything that comes our way. See, this isn't about wanting trouble to come. It's not about being 
happy, quote unquote, when trouble comes. It's just about recognizing that God is at work redeeming in all situations. And so I am able to take life as it comes. The highs are not too high. The lows are not too low. I can trust him. I can trust him. I don't have to manufacture this sense of control. He's in control. I'm not. And so I can rely on him because he's got it. It's making sense. All right, last point. I revere him. That's part of fearing the Lord. I rely upon him. That's part of fearing the Lord. And then finally, number three, I reference him. I've heard for years, my friend and pastor Dave Buring talks about reverencing and referencing him in all we say and do. That's the fear of the Lord. Reference him. Learn to reference the Lord when making decisions. See, we can use that term like Lord, like it means authority. It means he's in charge. I can use that word to describe him. You know, my heavenly father, Jesus, the Lord of all. I can call him Lord, but am I living out that word? Am I living out that word? Am I just saying he's Lord or am I referencing him in my day-to-day decision-making? When I'm mapping out long-term plans, what am I doing with my business? What am I doing with my time? What am I doing this week? You know, do I start my week going, okay, Lord, what are you up to this week? I wanna be consciously aware of you. I do this in the day-to-day and I do this when stepping back and looking at the big picture, learning to reference him when making decisions. A simple way to consider this, do I seek him in prayer when I'm making a big decision? Do I seek guidance through his word? Like, is this choice I'm making, does it line up with the God that the Bible describes? Does it line up with the things that he says are important? Am I doing something that's contradicting him and his ways and his character? But also, am I referencing him in a specific way in this instance? Back to my example from earlier. I would say the choice I made to help start up that little young adults Bible study was aligned with scripture. Like it was rooted in all kinds of right and good things. So check there, that was great. But I didn't talk to him about that specific thing. I didn't really seek guidance. God, are you in this? Are you calling me to this? It wasn't a place of prayer and I missed it. And there was so much time and toil and energy I mean, think about the other people who were discouraged, you know? Think about the people who asked for that, that felt discouraged when it fell apart. Like, just because I was like, I got this, instead of talking to him. It's not an easy message. I realize that. I realize it might even feel a little convicting. But I just want to encourage you, the convictions of the Lord, they're good. And they're invitations into something good. His offer to be king and Lord of our lives. Guys, it's the best offer we're gonna get. Surrendering to him is the best thing that we can do. It can deal with my pride. It can bring healing to my fears and anxieties. It's an invitation. If I haven't made him Lord in my life, friends, I'd encourage you to do it. There's nothing better than giving your life to Christ. He gives us a real purpose and a real aim. And he sets our feet on a firm foundation for life. Friends, if you love him and you follow him, let's let's make this a part of the rhythms of our life. Do I stop and consider? God, I've called you my king and my Lord. 
Am I actually doing that as I'm managing my day-to-day life? Am I revering you? Am I relying upon you? Am I referencing you as I'm navigating my life? Amen? Amen. In conclusion, I want to read the conclusion that the writer of Ecclesiastes came up with. It's, it's a book full of this sort of wondering about life and the things we do and am I focused on the right things and what is my life? And he says in, in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. I can fear God and I can obey him. What a freeing way to live. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words through your servant, James. Thank you for your words on that mount 2,000 years ago. Thank you, God, that you give us um, relief from our pride and arrogance. Thank you that you give us relief from our anxieties and fears. Lord, thank you for the gift of letting you be king, letting you set the aim for our life and then having you help us navigate the day-to-day, the month-to-month, the year-to-year as we walk with you. Lord, I pray that you would just speak some encouragement into our hearts. Lord, whether we've been finding ourselves doing it in this moment this morning or whether it's something we purpose to do in the days ahead, God, would you bring us to a place where we pause and we consider what is our life? What is our aim? How are we managing our time? How do we approach our day to day? Jesus, would you enable us by your grace to keep our eyes fixed upon you, revering you in worship, relying upon you and referencing you in all of our decisions, both great and small. Thank you for this gift. Would you do this work in our hearts? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.